0: Good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk, the pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, you know, the program's designed for someone just like me, because you know there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily things that are soul-shaking, might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. Rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, I find that a casual front porch style talk of the pastor is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Okamonawak, Wisconsin. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at KFUO.org or or call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, call in at area code 314 850 or you can call toll-free anywhere in the lower 48 with 1-800-730-2727. Lance, welcome back to the Front Porch.
1: Delighted to be back with you.
0: Well, it's been a long week for me. I'm sure it has been for you, too. I'm, I'm ready for the weekend.
1: I'm with you. Say, you had an
0: interesting thing happen to you recently. You went to a couples retreat, I understand.
1: A marriage retreat. A marriage retreat. Yes, I helped lead a marriage retreat.
0: Okay, well, I want to hear about that, and I think this would be a great time for us to discuss such concepts as marriage and love from a Lutheran point of view. Sound good to you? (laughs) Love it. Okay, well, let's start out. First of all, what was the marriage retreat about?
1: Song of Songs, Genesis, and a little bit of marriage as a reflection of Christ in the church in Ephesians 5. But a lot of time in, in male and female, in the image of God, and then in the Song of Songs. So there was there was much cringing. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Well, you know the song. If the uh, the legend that I heard was that the uh, the rabbis wouldn't let any men below thirty read the Song of Songs because it's so erotic. Um, and when uh, our retreat leader, uh, my friend Dr. Doug Stowe, uh, who serves nearby in Hartford, Wisconsin. Uh, He did a bunch of translating and uh, and noted a number of places in the Song of Songs where uh, things are a lot more real than the polite version that we read typically in our translations. Thou art fair, my love. And then some. Stuff we can't say on the radio. But in the Bible. (laughs) But in the Bible. And that's what what Pastor Stowe said a number of times. You know, he would translate this and... um, and he'd hear some snickering, and he'd and he'd he'd start laughing and say, "I'm not making this stuff up, folks. It's in there."
0: <laughs> uh, okay. It was great. I bet it was. And I understand that when you first started this uh, this uh, marriage retreat, you only had like about
1: seven couples. Now you've got what twenty five. We had 25 couples. You know, this is a congregation of roughly 400 people in worship on a weekend. Uh, we had we had 50 people at a marriage retreat. Wow, it was pretty amazing.
0: Well, how, what do you learn on these on these? retreats I know you you quoted the uh, the specific Bible Bible uh, points but surely there's there's more to it than that there's some kind of a depth thing you do you rediscover yourselves do you rediscover other people do you understand that you have the same or perhaps not the same interpretations of love and marriage
1: oh for sure I mean there there is a, a we designed this retreat to be you know a time for couples to reconnect with one another uh, to study the scriptures and learn together and to, and to grow, you know, with other people, with, with other, you know, married couples who are also interested in, in strengthening their marriages. So there, there is a, there's a great combination of fellowship and, and Bible study that uh, is really, really wonderful.
0: And I think we got a lot of direction here from uh, Luther himself. You know, he married late in life. and yes. he, And uh, he was probably a confirmed bachelor until he met Katerina von Bora.
1: Yeah, well, he was a monk, so he better have
0: been a when I won't say that line. <laughs> okay. Yes. But he, um, he came up with one of the best... Definitions. I thought one of the best sayings here. I love this quote: "Let the wife make the husband glad to come home, and let him make her sorry to for him to leave."
1: That is a great quote, isn't it? Um, isn't it though? Let the wife make the husband glad to come home, and let him make her sorry to see him leave. <laughs> um, I got to figure out some way to stick that on a. Uh, maybe for our marriage retreat next year, stick it onto some little gift or something like that. Um, well, we don't... do it every year. We Every year we do some... It's a Christmas ornament. Somebody hand makes some Christmas ornaments. We give one to each couple. Wow. That would make a cool little Christmas ornament.
0: It really would. It really would. You know, and he did another one here that I I thought is just fabulous. You know, when you're young and you just... I think the the, the the phrase I once heard was, of all things, Walt Disney's Bambi, was Twitter-pated. <laughs> you know? And you're just head over heels in love with this. You can't live without this wonderful person. And then it evolves and changes into something else. And uh, Luther wrote about that. And he said, the first love is drunken. When the intoxication wears off, then it becomes real marriage love.
1: Uh, that I suspect is true for most of us. <laughs> I don't. I don't know about you, right? Because you were you were married the second time around after your first wife died. Yeah. Um, what, was there still the intoxication thing around when you were the second time around? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Good for you. Definitely.
0: Yeah. You know, it's 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 now matured. Um, <laughs> for example, one of the things that that my wife and I have discovered is one is that I snore and she has restless leg yes and we have sometimes discovered that maybe separate bedrooms are not such a bad idea if we want to get sleep
1: that probably makes for some good theater in your house
0: (laughs) actually it does you know it's kind of funny because my late wife uh, she didn't have that but the, the restless leg and she didn't mind the snoring but this woman read late into the night and never turned off the light before she went to sleep. And that would just wake me up several times during the night and I'd be too darn sleepy and tired to reach over and turn off the light. Grump, 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 grump.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> that's kind of, well, I, I that would have been me except my wife and I largely uh, switched to Kindles. Hmm? So we each have a Kindle e-reader uh, and that's, we read it, we read in bed at night, and but I'm 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 notorious for being up a little bit late than her, and she'll wake up with with my Kindle on her face because oh. I was I had it in my hand and then fell asleep and just dropped it on her. Uh, okay, well, and the, the joys of married life. right? Oh, it is.
0: like <laughs> you, know, you know I go to bed early. I'm I'm rarely up later than about nine o'clock. Hey, I'm just life of the party, you know. But by the same token, I get up early. Now, my wife, on the other hand, likes to stay up late. Sometimes she'll binge watch, and then she'll get up late. And it's kind of interesting, you know how we how we are comfortable with this kind of a routine, uh, because you know, it, at night, as I said, you know, she's got restless leg and I snore, so
1: so. I, well, on the it, routines, the routines can be really wonderful. It can and- be and comforting and and safe and peaceful and all those things should be associated with a home
0: oh absolutely
1: but sometimes and that is part of the benefit i think of doing a retreat or something like that is you know we can be we our lives can be so routinized that um we fail we fail to do the extra special things that we once did and that's something that you know dr Stowe reminded us of at our retreat and Mm. you know drawing on the drawing on the song of songs and the compliments between the husband and wife that went back and forth and you know reminding the men especially you know guys uh you should do this you know we should do this now and then compliment her courtesy is so important in a marriage Absolutely. And not just the the courtesy, but uh you know, he used to li- he used a little bit. I don't know if you're familiar with uh the Christian psychologist who wrote the book called The Five Love Languages. No, I've not. Um so this uh this author, Gary Chapman, after his years of you know working with couple, came up with kind of a framework for how to how to love better. And he he categorized them in, in what he calls the five love languages, in that people want to be loved in certain general ways. They want words of affirmation, or or they prefer to be loved by gifts of service, um, or or just gifts, or quality time, or physical touch. Um, I'm forgetting one, you know, right now. And he said the important, you know, in this, it, it's a really helpful. My associate pastor here at St. Paul's. And his wife say it saved their marriage. Really? Absolutely. You know, you ask that you ask Steve and Angie Charnel, You know what what it takes for a successful marriage? And Angie will tell you learn your learn your husband's love language and speak it. Uh-huh. Um, meaning, we all have a way that we prefer to love to love others. We express love, but that may not be the way that your spouse wants to receive it or receives it best. So. When I, you know, we take this in, um, you know, for our listeners, if you're married, you, you know, even if you're single, it would help potentially, but you can go to, I think it's called fivelovelanguages.com. You can fill out this brief little survey. It'll take you five minutes and it'll give you a kind of an indication of what your love language is. And, you know, mine, mine was off the charts, uh, either, uh, words of affirmation or physical touch you know that's you know i'm a very typical man <laughs> um you know my wife was a little you know and I think the highest score was twelve in these various categories, and I was an eleven or a ten in those two uh whereas Carrie my wife what had four who were who were pretty high, sevens or eight or eights or nines. Gifts, gifts weren't, aren't a big deal for either of us, but, she, you know, my wife really likes quality time. You know, it's really important for her that we are together, you know, and when we're together, not distracted.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Uh, you know, my wife uses the expression mindfulness all the time. You know, she says, what's our word? Mindfulness. <laughs> and it's it's trying to be aware of the other person's needs and wants, which is not easy.
1: Because well, and this is and this is this, this is the power of Chapman's book, and I think why Doctor Stowe used it in conjunction with Song of Songs and and the and the creation of male and female in Genesis one and two. That you know we are different, and part of part of our calling, and it really is a calling a vocation uh to love to love one another Mm -hmm. and get to know one another so you know for again for me the time together with my wife this last weekend was a was a great deal of quality time and she was thrilled and i was too well that's a very healthy thing it was it was a very very healthy thing you know and i you know you have kids um when you have kids, it's uh, it's it can be so easy to make your whole lives about them, and it can be very easy when you have children to basically make your children a false god.
0: Mm. You know, and, I've heard that, Lance. You know, I I don't have kids. I have never had kids. My wife and I never did. But I have heard that from other people who have, where the affection between the husband and the wife. Suddenly is replaced with the children, and they have a very difficult time adjusting to that
1: no doubt um well and it, it part of in my sense in my work as a pastor, I think it's a a real reason why you know you have a you have a couple three four kids and and all of a sudden they're gonna the last one's heading off to college or somewhere, in the re- and you used to use, the couple looks at each other, and they don't know who they are anymore. <laughs> they haven't really talked in 20 years. Wow. Um, I bet right, that's really difficult. talked. And, it, you know, it's easy to do. It, it's, you know, and I'm good gravy. I'm a pastor, and I know this stuff. Um, it's easy to do, It's easy to just get totally, and I don't, for lack of a better term, bogged down in in the in the ups and downs of raising a children and forget that the most important relationship in the house, the one from which all the others, you know, come from is that relationship between the husband and the wife. And if you don't attend to that, um, you have not attended to your really your first, your first earthly calling. Mm.
0: That is a very, very good point. Um, and you know your your life goes through a number of uh turning points you know when when the kids are born when the kids leave when the the one spouse loses a job or things along those lines and you have to look at it again on how you define these things uh i know uh when i when i first uh uh, married my second wife. Uh, I'd come back out to St. Louis following the death of my first wife. And I was just bumming around because I grew up here in St. Louis. It was my hometown. I wanted to come back to it. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, didn't have a job. Didn't need one at that point. But, you know, I just I didn't have a job. Where my the, the, the woman I met who eventually became my wife was working full time as a uh, as a nurse. Now our situations are a little re- reversed because now she's retired and now I'm working full time. You know, so we've had a, a, a different, a different type of a, of a turning point in our marriage.
1: And and they have those. There are there are seasons in marriage, and if you're not in communication, you don't know what's going on. You know, I one of the things uh, one of the things that Doctor Stowe and I'd have to. Um, I should pull up my see if I can pull up my notes. I forgot to do that here. One of the things he asked us was something like how how has being married how is your spell how has your spouse, your wife, your husband, better helped you understand who you actually are? Mm. Um you know, and he was he was translating from the you know we're, he was translating from Genesis two. You know, and this, is, you know, that the that the, he, the the Hebrew word in in Genesis in Genesis two suggested, you know, two two beings over against each other that were understood in light of one another, and so you know to see one another face to face, that God designed it so we would understand ourselves in light of the other. And that has been my experience in marriage, and as a pastor observing marriages, and helping marriages, that being married helps us understand actually who we are.
0: That is that is very true. Um, when I first met my, my current wife, uh, my self-esteem was not especially good. You know, as I said, you know, I'd, I'd lost one wife, I had no family in this area, I wasn't doing anything. And I wasn't feeling very good about myself, and yet this woman saw something in me that I didn't see. She saw something in me and was able to bring it out. And oh, isn't that wonderful? Oh, it is. It is. You know, I, I, I will never be able to thank her enough for doing that.
1: Yep, it's a great, it's a great gift. It is. Um, it's a yeah. I, I think I think about that frequently, with regard to my own. Yeah, where would we
0: be without our spouse? You know, when you think about that, and
1: frankly, if it was in my case, I'd probably
0: be dead. In all honesty,
1: sure. And and that's you're not the only one. <laughs> that, <laughs> you're not the only one. You know, you know, Carrie. When I met, you know, when I met Carrie Allen in 1995, and we were in our mid 20s, um, one of the, you know, at, at coming off a suicidal depression and, you know, really just in the midst of finding out, discovering what it is to be a Christian man. Mm. Um, You know, when I met, when I met Carrie, I had kind of sworn off for the foreseeable future um, romantic relationships because I was so terrible at it (laughs) (laughs) up to that point. And so I, you know, I met Carrie just wanting, trying to learn how to have a friendship with a woman. There wasn't anything else on the table for me. And that was incredibly liberating. And and what I found is this great abiding friendship, and Carrie made me laugh, and I was never self-conscious around her. I could just be myself with her, and Carrie didn't... Um, she didn't care about the man that I was. She was more interested in the man I was becoming. It was, um, she knew what forgiveness was. And it's hard to describe how liberating that was.
0: Women it, have this have this ability to, oh boy, am I going to sound sexist on this one, but I think, you know, women have an ability to see things in other people that sometimes men lack.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> women tend to be a little bit more intuitive on that.
0: Yeah, anyone who who says they don't believe in women's intuitions never met a woman. <laughs> I mean, really, never lived with one. Uh,
1: boy, and, and, you know that. I, at least my understanding, there's some research that just on the basic differences in the in brains between men and women that suggest, you know, that's a biological reality.
0: Well, I've certainly seen proof of it in my life, and I know that you have as well.
1: But, uh, yeah, it reminds me. You know, this. You shared a little document with me with some quotes from Luther. I'm looking at. I'm looking at one that you sent, uh, per the conversation we're having right now. Mm-hmm. There is no more lovely, friendly, and charming relationship, communion, or company, than a good marriage.
0: I, it's true. And here's another one of his uh, that I think goes along with the, what we've been saying. It said the Christian is supposed to love thy neighbor. But since his wife is his nearest neighbor, he should be he should be able to accept her love, deepest love. Pardon me, I don't have my glasses and that, on. I couldn't is,
1: read that. Just and th- this is an absolutely key insight, and part of the wonderful thing about being a Lutheran and understanding, you know, the doctrine of vocation.
2: You know
1: that um, our our calling our calling as a Christian is to is to love and serve our neighbor, our nearest neighbor. If you're married, your nearest neighbor. More important, even than your children, is your husband or wife.
0: Luther was a very human individual, and had <laughs> great. He had his failings, and he has well. But but he had a, a, incredible insight, absolutely incredible. It's one of the reasons I'm glad I'm a Lutheran. I can sit. I can always learn things. You know, and that's that's something I I think other religions sometimes lack. Uh, Luther was. Uh, had an introspective side to him and he was always asking people to to look into themselves you know he had his he had the known truths obviously the biblical truths but god works through us differently i don't know for example with um, Melanthin, uh his his closest friend you know he, but who reacted very differently to certain stresses
1: right you know luther Luther, in my reading and understanding of him, was was above all a biblical theologian, uh, n- not a philosopher, not a humanist, but a- above all, you know, the, the the scriptures formed his thinking, and you combine that with what appears to be, in many respects, um, a lack of a filter. Um, he said some. Uh, astonishingly candid things both uh, for good and sometimes for real <laughs> hello
0: yeah yeah i'm i'm still here i'm listening yeah and uh no you're right he he did he was uh, an incredibly complex person uh but boy he had a sense of humor that was the other thing that i really like here uh, absolutely some of the things, like the way he would he would write to his wife. Uh, see if I can find it. Uh,
2: <laughs>
0: he had such wonderful, <laughs> wonderful pet things here to say. Um, what was it here? Darn it! I know you can hear these papers rustling in front of me, and this is something that's very bad. Uh, very on bad. the radio. Yeah, radio. Yeah, it's it's bad form, but I'm. Haven't organized this as well as I should have. Fudge, fudge, fudge. I should know better than that. Uh, what, some of the things that uh, he called her. Oh, here we go.
1: My, here we In are. My rib. Yeah,
0: my lord, Kate.
1: Doctor Catherine.
0: Kate. Kette, which is the German word for tra- for chain. Yeah, the deepest learned. Yeah, the deepest learned. Mrs. Kath- Catherine Luther, my gracious housewife in Wittenberg, to my housewife Catherine Luther. Doctoress, self-martyr of Wittenberg. To the holy, worrisome Lady Catherine Luther, Doctor of Wittenberg. Housewife (laughs) Catherine Luther, Doctoress, and whatever else she may be. (laughs) Man. (laughs) And and, you know, Katie had had her own moments. Uh, Luther had undergone a a, a terrible depression. And he, and he, he was up and down. And uh, she couldn't quite figure out how to stamp him out of it. But then she got the idea, and she said she started. She was dressed all in black. Dressed herself all in the black, as if she was in mourning. Yeah. And uh, Luther goes, who died? And she replied, God. <laughs> what foolishness is this? It's true, she stated. God must have died, Dr. Luther, or you wouldn't be so sorrowful. <laughs>
1: That is great. I didn't know that story.
0: Oh, I, I just found it out when I read that article. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Hey, Lance, we got to take a little break here, but I think we're on a roll. Let's see what goes on after this message.
2: listeners what's one of the most important things in life your health you need to be well to serve well so if you're in the concordia health plan now is the time to choose your 2020 benefits from now through november 15th go to your personal member portal at concordiaplans.org and sign up for your health care retirement savings plan supplemental life insurance and accident benefits sign up now through november 15th don't miss out
3: the next Lamplighter Theatre. Well, this fog is just right for me. And here's the place of Hall. Now comes the fun part. Ain't nobody can pick a look like Black Dolly. No, sir. Don't miss the next Lamplighter Theatre. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Here is what our listeners are saying about KFUO Radio. KFUO has been a part of the family, in a sense, for many, many, many years. We stayed home and listened to KFUO, and we loved doing that. Really appreciate all the work that goes into everything that you do here. For so many people to be able to hear the gospel, what a blessing that is. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Worldwide KFUO. In a burial tomb near Jerusalem, two small silver scrolls were discovered, most likely dating from the 6th century B.C. They contain text which is similar to that found in the Bible in Numbers chapter 6. It speaks of the priestly blessing Moses gave to Aaron for the Israelites. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his...
1: An arduous process to enroll the scrolls and decipher the characters gave access to yet another amazing discovery. One of the words deciphered was Yahweh, the name of the Lord. The scrolls were probably worn as an amulet for protection
3: and blessings. The Silver Scrolls provide a significant discovery in aiding biblical scholars in reconstructing the historical time frame of these texts and in highlighting the role of religion in ancient Israel.
1: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible, opening later this month in Washington, D.C
0: back. Let's talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host, Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Pastor Lance O'Donnell from um, from Akamanawak, Wisconsin. And we are discussing love (laughs) and marriage. Go together like a horse and carriage. Remember that song? Oh, (laughs) you know what? I was just thinking of something here uh, where your situation is is significantly different from mine and from your parishioners. And that is, is that your wife is it's a pastor's wife, yes, what does this mean
2: <laughs> uh
1: it means to the woman who's married to the pastor that's the one um, yes so it's interesting that I, what a pastor's wife is has um my 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 suspicion that's not just my suspicion my my knowledge is has changed uh in the last couple generations as so many more women have entered the workforce. And, you know, it it was, you know, when, when I met, when I met my wife, you know, she, she had sworn she would never marry a church worker. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then, uh, and then, then we met and then there was no avoiding it. And then she was okay with it. And, you know, Carrie and I met in working in politics, so I was, you know, I was, we were both working for state representatives in Michigan. She had worked for Michigan's governor. Uh, she is an absolutely exceptional uh, strategic thinker, uh, which is, which is why ultimately Larry Rast, the president of Fort Wayne Seminary, hired her. That's what she does for him. Um, you know, helps, she, her specialty has always been helping executive types focus on the important things, and she makes sure all the details get done. And so, you know, we we recognized early, fairly early in our marriage that, you know, we had lots of support. She wanted to be a, a wife and a mother first, but she also had incredible gifts to use, and and because we had so much support, grandparents' support in particular, that, um, you know, we all kind of teamed up and enab- enabled Carrie to go back to work part-time at first. And the kids were doing great, cared for by grandma and grandpa and the other grandma. And, you know, mom could do a little bit of work outside the home, and now she works a fair amount outside the home.
0: Well, the woman, the pastor's wife doesn't marry just the man, just the pastor. She marries the church, she marries the congregation, she marries an entire lifestyle. And it's something most women I don't think are prepared for.
1: Well, yeah, I suppose that, you know, that's I mean, she married she's she's married to me and you know, and we're and we're a Christian family and we're a Christian family that doesn't have the option of going to church. <laughs> or not, um, and you know she wouldn't. You know, in, our, in my in my case, I couldn't. I can't speak. Uh, I won't speak for for other men, but you know, worship is the very worship was the center of our lives uh, before we got married, um, and it was going to be the center of our lives for the rest of our lives, and and that was just cemented when I became when I became a pastor. So. Um, you know, she, she has some unique challenges because you know the pastor is you know in my position I'm a senior pastor of a larger of a larger parish and sometimes people don't always agree with their pastor. <laughs> um, you know, and and so you know her uh, a wife's inclination is sometimes to defend her husband and then and but the pastor's wife or at least the wiser ones are usually you know, let that take care of itself, and so it can that can be challenging. Does that make any sense?
0: I think it does because uh, the, the the normal urge would be to jump in there, but she she can't you know you're the pastor, you're the leader, and she also but she also has this very distinct role that she has to play,
1: yeah, well, I mean, you know in in many respects, it's not any different than any other wife, you know you're you're you know you're you're there to love and honor and submit to your husband and and care for your, and care for your children, um, but it's a but it's a very public office. Uh, mine is as a pastor. Yeah,
0: she's under, she's under a bit more of a spotlight than a typical wife is. would
1: be. And in in our case, that was you know for a lot of pastoral couples, especially those who are second career, that's a that's a tough adjustment you know to being as public a relationship as it is um even for even for couples that marry young and end up in the, end up in the ministry you know it's hard for them to get used to in Carrie and I's case you know we both as kids expected to be involved in politics we expected and we were in the we're in the public eye from the time that we were children and so I don't think my sense is, and you know, I don't think Kerry had nearly as much an adjustment as, as, as many would, because we just expected this was part of who we were, pretty much always. I just ended up as a pastor and not a politician.
0: <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny, because um, I, I was heavily involved in politics when I was in college. And um, I had to make a decision of what I wanted to do with my life. as either politics or journalism. I couldn't do both. And so it was the same thing as I went over to broadcast. Well, you
1: journalism. can do both now. You can be a, all the yellow journalist you oh, want to be.
0: Oh, please don't cut me. Done
1: I opened this a sore <laughs> subject.
0: Oh, 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 that is a very sore subject. Uh, you know, I did my I I earned my master's degree from uh, nor, from Medill University, which has been in the news recently. Uh, Medill School of Journalism, which uh, patting myself on the back, is considered the premier journalism school in the country.
1: Is is where? Forgive me. Where is this? Northwestern University at. Wait, uh, right, Northwestern. Yeah. That's right. You're Northwestern. Yeah, yeah. Medus- I was thinking uh, the other mid something Canada, but that's right. You're a, yeah, you're a Northwestern guy. Good gravy. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah wildcat. <laughs> but um, the student newspaper there covered um, uh, secretary. Um, oh gosh, the uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Uh, he's running for senator right now. He used to be with the attorney general. Uh, sessions jeff sessions was giving a speech on campus at the invitation of the campus young republicans and of course there was a group of people who objected to it and there was a demonstration uh everyone from holding up signs to people pounding on the doors now the northwestern newspaper they're called actually called the daily northwestern did what is good journalism they they had a reporter in inside to listen to this, this speech to sessions and record what that was and they had another reporter outside to talk about uh, the people who were objecting to it and why and they took some pictures of it and by golly later on they apologized saying oh we should not have taken those pictures and not have talked to those people oh, we Ukraine hurt our feelings I couldn't believe that I couldn't believe that you know, hey, hey guys, little, you know, I don't know what you're doing, but it ain't journalism. Right. Oh, man, I I, I have to say, I wrote a rather nasty letter to the school about that. <laughs> Although to its defense, the, uh, the uh, dean later, uh, the dean of the journalism school, did uh, put out a public uh, statement saying the kids were wrong. But they're, they're young. Their students are supposed to make mistakes. I think he copped out a little bit on that. Had I made a mistake like that when I was at Medill, I wouldn't have graduated.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, y- you know, to your to your question, and I'm sorry to, to throw okay. the... To <laughs> you throw got it me, me here. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know being a pastor being a pastor's family I mean, you are you know it is a, it's a public it is a public office and some people can't handle it mm-hmm. um, and I'm, you know some, some some pastors and wives can't handle it and some parishioners can't handle it and you know some some parishioners can't handle uh, the fact that their pastor is a sinner too um, and the pastor's kids are sinners, and sometimes they're complete idiots. Um, and I say that, uh, you know, I say that in, in love. I, you know, my people here at St. Paul's have been really great with us, you know, recognize, recognizing that, you know, when you call a pastor, you, all, you also call the human being a man. And, you know they they've been i think pretty good overall with with our kids of not you know not expecting them to be perfect you know but you get that sometimes well you're the pastor's kid you should never do anything wrong (laughs) i mean good gravy the pastor's kid's a sinner too
0: my mother Um, went through that she was a pastor's kid your mom yeah
1: yeah so you know so i'm you know i'm my kid my my son Aiden, who's a sophomore at Concordia University, Wisconsin, when he was little, struggled a little bit with that, but his experience here was so good that um, you know that he decided to go into church work wow, and which i'm really thrilled i mean some pastors' kids, their experiences are so bitter that they just don't want anything to do with it and um i'm really I'm really thrilled that my son is is willing to serve. And, you know, it, it, to me that speaks a lot about, in particular, his experience, you know, his experience um, that, you know, that, that's, been, that's been mixed, but uh, so many, you know, many pastors' kids grow to have some bitterness toward the church, and it doesn't appear, at least thus far, that my children do. And I'm thankful for that, and that has a that has a lot to do with the people that I've served here for about eight years.
0: It also speaks well of you and your wife.
1: Well, I, I suppose some, um, you know, but my you know my kids, and again, pastors and their pastors and pastors' wives are sinners, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, my kids know that better than anybody, um, and so you know, they've had to they've had to figure that out. And that's, you know, every parent, every child has to, I mean, I think that's, a, that's the, I think that's at the very center of teenage angst mm-hmm. is in pre-teenage angst is the recognition, oh, you know, my parents have faults and sometimes not just faults, but serious faults. And yet, you, and yet they don't yet have the emotional maturity to figure out how to deal with that.
0: Yeah, I went through that. I definitely went through that.
1: A big a big part of childhood is is figuring out how to live the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. So when your parents are wrong. Yep. And that it takes us time to figure that out.
0: Well, I think I was a grown man before I finally found my father being wrong about something, but <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, and, you know, by, yeah. and, and on that, and on that note, it's that's one of the, it's one of the great things about the marriage retreat that I was on, and the the taking the time together as a couple, is when you take that time together and really talk about where you are in your marriage. I mean, one if you have children, one of the things that comes up is how are we doing with raising the kids, and you know those. You know, we we are by nature filled with pride and often blind to our own sinfulness with regard to our spouse and our children. And when you get away like that and do some serious thinking, you realize some things. And, you know, a good parent, a a good Christian is going to try and own up to that. You know, sorry, son, I've been kind of an idiot. Please forgive me. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, this is part of being a Lutheran—is that we know that we are flawed. More than flawed, we're inherently bad. You know, the the old Adam is in there, right? And uh, and Luther certainly was was a flawed individual. That's one of the things I, I again I like about being a Lutheran. I, I look to my Catholic friends, and they're so in awe of their leadership. Okay, fine. Yeah, Luther was a brilliant man. But he was a man with all the right. faults that I have.
1: It is one of the beautiful things about Lutheran theology that I think that squares so well with the scriptures and with human experience that we are simultaneously saint and sinner. Mm. And I think that's that's the doctrine you're probably appealing to here. Yes, it is. And and that and that is really rather unique in 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 Christian theology amongst the other denominations, as it were that the Christian is simultaneously a saint and a sinner. And that really explains the struggle that we all have, you know, in a way that, that puts it in a framework that people, I think, can understand and appreciate.
0: And it's hard to explain it to, to people who haven't grown up in it.
1: Uh... Yeah, on the, other, on the other hand, though, Kip, I think anybody who's actually tried to follow Christ and live. It's, that's the way we live it, whether, you know, even, even if, even if you're, a, you know, you're a thoroughgoing Baptist and you think the, the, the Christian is purely saint and then the, all the sinner stuff goes away, uh, most Baptist folks that I know um, actually recognize in their own households that there's still a sinner there and that and if the kid sins, he hasn't necessarily forsaken the Lord Jesus.
0: No, you know, and the the closest people to Jesus himself, his own disciples, were all flawed. Yes. Every last one of them. Yes. So what can we learn from that? Jesus loved them as much as, as anyone else.
1: Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Um, I'm going to look up something because there, uh, there was a wonderful um, Babylon Bee article on this. <laughs>
0: I was reading them today. They're great. We've,
1: we've, we've we have talked uh, we've talked about him before. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, I for what's the guy's name uh, at the Babylon Bee, the uh, the editor in chief or whatever. I forgot his name, but oh my goodness, this guy is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll have to see. Uh, I'll have to see if I can find it. Yeah, um, one
0: of the headlines was lego is lego is uh, has an making sharper <laughs> sharper pieces so they will kill you instantly when you step
1: on hey, them. <laughs> yeah, no, the one I that I happened on today. So here yeah, this and this was from oh goodness, this is 2 years old.
2: Ah.
1: Uh, confirmed. Judas Iscariot finished your best life now immediately before betraying Jesus for money. Uh that's the Joel Osteen book. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, start but
2: you, know, calling you know related yourself, to that he was
1: happy, whole, blessed and prosperous he continued and then took a deep breath and betrayed Jesus um, <laughs> the guy's a
0: dream. but you know related to that uh, again one of the discussions I had here with one of the pastors uh, was Jesus' real sin was not in betraying Jesus his sin was in believing his sin was so serious he couldn't be forgiven for it.
1: Yeah, and rejecting the Savior. Yeah, yeah I mean it's the difference between him and, and Peter. I mean Peter denies you know to his, denies him three times. I mean Judas went back and you know regretted it. Right, he went back and threw the silver back in the temple. Right. Yeah. Um, and then went out and hanged himself. He, you know he where he didn't he didn't believe that he could be he could be forgiven. And Peter on the other hand. Trust, trust Jesus. I mean, Peter. Peter, he had betrayed the Lord of Glory, the one he promised not to abandon, and he he ran away and denied him to his face. But Peter, but Peter repented and trusted, and and was restored. I mean, it's an amazing thing when you think about that. It, that Jesus picked these guys, and Peter, perhaps in particular, that. Looked the other way, denied him three times, and and then and then not only does he get forgiven, but he, you know he basically be, in many respects becomes the the spokesman for the apostles.
0: And there's a lesson there for for married couples about forgiveness. Absolutely. You know, how many times have we done things? Either unintentionally or even intentionally, how many times have you said things to a to a loved one that you meant to hurt, and uh, and you have to find forgiveness for that. You have to give forgiveness when they do it to you, and you know Jesus did it in the worst situations. And this is certainly a lesson for us as a married couple. Um, I forgive you your trespasses, you forgive me mine. We know that we're going to make them. We're human. But-
1: well, it's interesting that you bring this up, because the the workbook that I have used for almost 20 years uh, for premarital preparation is by an evangelical publisher, It's um, by Hardin and Sloan. It's called The Getting Ready for Marriage Workbook. And and it's a wonderful workbook, and has it, it has a lot of helps. They contend that the number one issue in a successful marriage is communication. Oh, yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't disagree that that's really, really, really important. I contend, however, because so, they ask this question they, of couples at the beginning of the book, without using the word love, what word would you choose to describe that quality or characteristic that makes for a successful marriage? You know, they contend it's, it's communication, I contend that the word is forgiveness. Mm. And my reason for that is this. You can be the most wonderful communicator. You can be this couple dialed in. You can be two Christian psychologists who are trained to listen empathetically and all that jazz and still there's you know, there's a there's a sinner in there. Right? We're still saying and still, even the best Christian psychologist is sometimes going to roll his eyes at his wife or say something stupid. Um, even the best communicators in the world say and do stupid things, and then the question I have for the couples is, okay, so now how are you going to deal with that? Because if when that happens, you those things either become like rocks that you stick in a backpack or you know and then you end up carrying around and it become a burden to you. Or, you confess it, and forgive it, and let it be taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can do that, uh, then then a whole world is open to you. That you know, that's my condemnation. That even the best communicators in the world are still idiots sometimes. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> and and, need, and right. And if you're able to forgive, then that then that. That is it's it's utterly liberating, as we've been talking about all the way along.
0: It is. And you know, this is part of getting over that that initial twitter patedness with, with your spouse is that suddenly you recognize that this person isn't perfect. This person is not on the pedestal that you put them on. They've got the flaws. You know, they they, they get up in a bad mood sometimes. But, yes. Leave the laundry lying around or, on the floor.
1: Be you know? unable to function without coffee, for example.
0: Oh yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no question. <laughs> one of my one of my most treasured moments <clears throat> is, um, you know, as I mentioned, I go to bed early, but I get up early. My wife goes to bed late and stays late. Uh, but when I get up, is it'll just me be me and the dog, and a fresh cup of coffee, and an English muffin, and the newspaper. Yep. And I so value that time.
1: Yes. And I've come to laugh at, on a very related note, because I'm the early riser in my house, um, it's not, you know, I I, I discovered 15 years or so ago that if I gave my wife a cup of coffee in the morning, the world was suddenly a magnificently brighter place. (laughs) (laughs) And so so now, you now you know, I'm out in the kitchen uh, working on whatever I'm working on and I hear her alarm go off and then the next sound I hear is coffee coffee <laughs> right or some some groan you know and so I fill, her, I fill her mug up and I wander in there and I give her a cup of coffee and she smiles um, and it makes the world a much better place. <laughs> well I try to
0: make sure I've just had a fresh pot so that the aroma of the coffee goes up to her bedroom yeah. So she knows it's down here for her.
1: It, it is. Yeah. It's funny the little things in marriage that
0: the little things make up the big things.
1: It make up the big things. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lance, we're going into the last minute here, and um, I think one of the keys to remember, um, he, Jesus taught us how to forgive and how to recognize He knows that we're sinners and He still loves us. And that's the same thing with 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 marriage. And recognize that you know if if mama bear's happy, you can be happy. If mama bear ain't happy, you ain't going to be happy.
1: <laughs> so. Well, yeah, the, I mean you you quoted something earlier in that the Luther quote that strikes me, the Christian is supposed to love his neighbor, and since his wife is his nearest neighbor, um she should be his deepest love. And And forgiveness is at the very heart of that. If, you know, for those listening, you know, you may have, through the conversation, you you may have recognized today that there's something that you've said or done that you need to confess and ask forgiveness for. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage whoever's listening to do that because it's a liberating thing. And I would encourage those who are on the other side of that who've been sinned against. And if your spouse comes to you and asks for forgiveness, um, is to give it, you know, not with conditions, uh, but to give it, and and that that forgiveness sets you free.
0: Oh, that is so true, Lance. I want to thank you for being on the program. You've really brought some insight into this love and marriage Lutheran style. That's what we're talking about here. We learned a lot. I hope that you did too. So let's do this again next Friday, okay? You're listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in.